Welcome to the Irish Huddle Podcast. I'm Patrick Engel, blueandgold.com, joined by the esteemed Lou Samoji. Lou, we had football, and we're going to talk about it. First, I'm sure you guys are all still wondering kind of the uncertain little kind of not great uh, stories that came out of the uh, season opening win over Duke, uh, injury-related, that is. Brian Kelly spoke with us earlier today, Monday, or uh, yesterday, if you listen to this on Tuesday, uh, updating the status of Kyle Hamilton, Braden Lindsay, and Bennett Skaronic. Kelly said Hamilton is in a walking boot. He will be in the boot until midweek. Uh, scan came back clean, Kelly said, all told. Not ruling him out for the game. He is listed on the depth chart for Saturday's game against South Florida. So, all told, about the best possible news you could ask for, considering the you know, state and, and eerie look of it uh, when he got hurt on the first drive of the third quarter there. Braden Lindsay, that mystery, uh, dressed but not playing on Saturday, didn't go through the last portion of warm-ups. He's listed as a starter. Kelly confirmed today that he had a hamstring issue that kept him out of the game. He will play on Saturday and once again listed as a starter. Another one of his uh, receiver comrades, though, Bennett Skoranek, he is likely out for Saturday's game after pulling up with a hamstring issue late in the second quarter against Duke. So just to update you on those housekeeping items, that's what's up with the latest uh, with Notre Dame's injuries. Otherwise, a I would say, Lou, successful, even if it didn't look you know, the prettiest at times uh, season opener for Notre Dame, getting the 27 to 13 win. Well, we, I did pick them to uh, Duke to cover the spread, which was 20 and a half at that point. I think in the issue I had 31, 14, I opted it a little bit after that, but not a surprise necessarily in season openers. Um, and look, we all know everyone went through the same things. Uh, spring practices canceled. Uh, timing aspects, issues are, are, are going to crop up. And I think especially it manifested itself with the passing game at, at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, you not only lose your top three targets who are your get out of jail cards, a couple of second round picks with Chase Claypool and Cole Komet, and then Chris Fink, who is a very reliable target for uh, Ian Book. But then your next batch, Kevin Austin, he's out eight to 12 weeks, hopefully back sometime in October with a foot surgery that was performed on August 3rd. Bennett Skoranek, who came from Northwestern as a graduate transfer and had 110 career catches, uh, he pulls a hamstring early in the game there in the first half. And then you also have Braden Lindsay with a hamstring issue that sidelines him. So you're not just looking at the losses from last year, but the guys you hope to develop the best chemistry with this season also were out of the game. So it showed itself many times there. Um, and Duke's two primary strengths coming into the game were a solid secondary with good coverage people and some good pass rushers on the end. So it kind of showed itself and they game planned around stopping the run and forced Nordame to see what they had with the passing attack. And I, I, it showed with 
I think people were expecting more than 27 points on offense uh, and certainly expecting more than three and out on each of the first three series. And thank goodness for a fake punt on the fourth that kind of jump-started the attack and uh, kind of maybe put Notre Dame, shifted the momentum there significantly. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a type of performance that you necessarily look at and say, okay, this is championship level, but for an opener, you kind of get a pass. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> Jay Bramble, like you said, on the fake punt, showing off the former high school quarterback, the elusiveness and athleticism there on that cutback run for the, the first down. But definitely, like you said, a lot more to unpack than maybe we would have thought. And before we dive into that, the best way you can support this podcast is to subscribe to blueandgold.com. You can start with a 60-day free trial using the promo code IRISH60. That's IRISH60. Also, if you'd be so kind, please leave us a review, rate our podcast, or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. You can also follow us on Twitter at Patrick Engel underscore. That's E-N-G-E-L. And you can follow Lou at BGI underscore Lou Samoji, S-O-M-O-G-Y-I. And first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by JFQ Lending. With interest rates below 3%, there has been never been a better time to lock in a low fixed interest rate on your mortgage. You'll never need to think about refinancing again. Set it and forget it. And with JFQ Lending, you are guaranteed to get the highest level of customer service. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and over 3,000 five-star reviews. Give Jared Ritter a call today at 480-637-7979 or email Jared directly at jritter, R-I-T-T-E-R, at jfqlending.com. JFQ Lending, Inc., Equal Access Lender, licensed in over 40 states, www.jfqlending.com. So, Lou, like you said, a little bit of a you know, almost a catch-22 here for, for Notre Dame in the, the opener where you, know, you can get a 14-point win over a Duke team that seems at least solid, if not a, a difficult out, even if their record might not end up as you know, anything spectacular and you know, coming off a season that was 5-7 and seven in a struggle. But it seems – you know, like no matter what would have happened, unless this is a you know fifty to nothing win, which I mean, it's pretty hard to do from in a conference game. Yeah, Notre Dame played its first conference game, by the way. Old news at this point. So, all told, you know, how do you look at this as far as you know the the sentiment of some kind of disappointment that seemed to be prevalent after the game? I think similar to the unbeaten teams in 2012 and 2018 and unbeaten regular season teams, let's clarify that, there's going to be, I think, an initial and I don't want to say season long leaning on the defense. Um, the 2012 team averaged only 25 points a game. And part of it was that they played uh, the way on offense, knowing that the defense could be relied on. And then I think it happened same way in 2018 as well. Uh, 
you had to move Jafar Armstrong to your starting running back position early in the year from receiver. And he, he was just in his sophomore year and they were trying to find an identity there. And Brandon Wimbush wasn't renowned as a passer. So they utilized his strengths early on before moving to Ian Book in game four to help enhance the passing attack. Both times they leaned very heavily on the defense to kind of see them through those opening parts while trying to find an identity on offense, specifically at those skill positions. Um, I think we're seeing similar things right now too. Now, the encouraging part is you're seeing young talent like a Kyron Williams uh, account for 205 yards of total offense at 112 rushing 93 receiving a first at Nordame since Alan Pinkett did that a 90 90 uh, rushing and receiving both uh, in, in the same game but way back in 1983 you saw the quick flashes of Chris Tyree carrying six times um, most of them were for lost yardage but he had a 25 yard sprint as well uh, and nearly broke one on his first uh, career kickoff return as well, returned it to the 38-yard line. So you're seeing flashes there. You saw certainly with Michael Mayer at tight end, what he's capable of doing. You, you see a Joe Wilkins come off the bench when Skoranek is injured and catch four passes uh, all to set up two different scores. And Michael Mayer, just the excitement that he provides as a tight end. So... I think that's going to be the first three weeks here before you get into that October 3rd buy is trying to find an identity. What, what, what can this Notre Dame offense do to complement the defense that I think once again um, will perform strongly and keep Notre Dame and give them a chance in, in virtually every game this season to uh, come out on top. Uh, obviously, the Clemson game is the one where they will be the underdog, but um, everywhere else, it, it's uh, going to be a leaning on the defense to keep opponents under 20 points. And now what do you do on offense? How do you counter where everyone is going to be selling out against the run and saying to Notre Dame, okay, let's prove what you can do against us with the pass. And then let's talk about the offense for a minute, because I'm sure that was the thing you had kind of left the game at least you know, most concerned about, or at least the thing that I left the game having noticed the most from my perspective. And perhaps for, for all you listeners at some point made you want to scream at your TV. But overall, the the passing numbers look fine. I mean, Ian Book averaged eight and a half yards per attempt, nearly one full yard higher than a year ago. But not really telling the full story there where you kind of saw some familiar habits that came back some first half of, of 2019 uh, you know themes that that arose with uh, pocket presence and and some you know, ability to deliver some throws and, and Brian Kelly was asked about this after the game and he was pretty uh, firm in saying what did you expect? Like, look at this weird offseason we've had. Look at the guys we've lost. And it's hard to say at all that he's wrong. I mean, look, this was a weird offseason around the country. I mean, Notre Dame, yeah, it's true. Notre Dame didn't have 14 of its 15 spring practices. 
I believe it finished with 22 uh, ones before the first game. All kinds of you know, just time that wasn't spent together. And yes, everyone dealt with that. And if you look around the country, Notre Dame certainly wasn't the only offense that you expect a lot out of to perform in a you know, any kind of disappointing thing. North Carolina, we talked about their potential, you know, ACC breakout. Sam Howell, the quarterback, setting a freshman record for touchdown passes last year. They had 10 points in three quarters against a Syracuse defense that was atrocious all of last year. Ended up putting up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. But for a while, it was pretty rough sledding there. Iowa State, uh, of course, we, uh, all of you, you know, fans would have heard about Iowa State, the offense, quarterback, Brock Purdy, heading into the Camping World Bowl last year. Uh, they go out and lose to Louisiana Lafayette, a good team, by the way, but still a Sunbelt team, uh, and score two touchdowns. So, yeah, like, like Kelly said, whatever weirdness that you just can't really quantify but that everybody dealt with, yeah, it's a thing. And, yeah, Notre Dame doesn't have some of its you know, most reliable targets from last year. And, I mean, what they're missing at least, probably what their top two most dynamic guys or at least potentially dynamic receivers in, in Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay. So yes, all of that is a, a thing that you have to at least bake into the equation of what happened on, on Saturday. But that said, book is a, a three-year starter. Uh, yeah. Tommy Reese is a new offensive coordinator. Uh, he's also a, a familiar face for book considering they've been the quarterbacks coach books, you know, raved about their their friendship, their relationship, and, and Reese's uh, abilities as a coordinator. You still want to see more uh, than some of the things that you, know, you saw, especially in the first half uh, from Book, because you know, those are areas where he grew in over 2019, especially in the six games to end the season that Notre Dame won in a row. And growth to think make you think that there you know, won't be that many – you know, pocket yips and just kind of dancing around back there when you know, didn't really have to or airmailed throws uh, that still showed up in, in, in some of this game. So I, I think it's fair to still be a little, you know, miffed over, you know, what like, the overall lack of, uh, of Christmas per se. And you raise a good point here about – you mentioned Brock Prudy at Iowa State. You mentioned Sam Howell at North Carolina. These are guys who are considered uh, among the top well, five, ten quarterbacks in the country this year. But the frustration stems from Notre Dame, and this is a good thing, Notre Dame has reached a level where you're not comparing them to the Iowa States or to the North Carolinas. The bar for everything is the Clemsons the Alabamas, the Ohio States, to get to where it wants to be. Um, and that's a positive. But what comes with it is when the bar is that high, all the negatives or the setbacks or the underperformance in various areas are going to be used to measure that, is do you measure up to those guys? Do you measure up to that team? And it's not just about Ian Book, but the overall offense as well. But again, you're, you're dealing with not only the transition to a new receiving core, but as you mentioned, with Austin and Lindsey both out, 
you're not going to be able to display maybe the full capacity that you want to on offense. And that, that includes now Ben Skoranek as well. So that's why I think not only with Duke, but also with South Florida coming up and then Wake Forest on uh, September 26th in Winston-Salem, here's an opportunity to try to forge the identity of what you want to be and your personnel to see how they adapt to various uh, schemes. Because then you have the bye week, you can, you know, work and hone on your craft more than two. And then you have home games against Florida State, which, you know, it's been a grease fire down there for the last three years. And it looks like it's carrying over into 2020 as well after losing to Georgia Tech, which was three and nine last season. And then Louisville also at home. Again, you're in your environment, you're at home. And here's a chance now to just continue to build and forge what you want from this offense. And raising the point of, uh, of going off of what you said, basically, of Clemson comparisons versus Iowa State in, in North Carolina. When you look at what Trevor Lawrence did on, on Saturday, 350 yards and 12 yards of pass and rolled through Wake Forest. And obviously this is Trevor Lawrence, but at the same time, didn't have his top two receivers from last year. Seemingly no problem. Wake is at least a sentient team. So, and it's a more of a thing of, all right, what do you want to aspire to be closer to? The Clemson performance or, you know, the UNCs and your, your Iowa State, even if those end up being, you know, the, the good teams that most of us think they're going to be. Or in, in which case, you know, closer to which end of that do you need to be to, you know, beat Clemson, make the playoff, achieve these kinds of you know, goals that they set out to, to try to do. And, and I would say that the Kelly's right, even – if there wasn't, you know, a, a wonky off season where, yeah, it probably wasn't going to all be, you know, in his words, a shiny new car right away, but you still, like I had said, want to see a little bit less of the things that are, you know, not really about receiver chemistry or, you know, settling into a, a new offense would like, you know, I don't think the, just kind of aimlessly moving around in the pocket or, you know, inventing pressure has much to, to do with that. And, and ultimately this was going to be how quickly can, can book in those guys, not only gel, but what can book elevate that group too. And I don't think it's entirely fair to make the judgment on that when Lindsay and Austin, or at least one of them is, is out, especially considering what we saw from, you know, some of the other, guys that are still a little bit there in the rest of that group that's you know still definitely has some some questions and you know you wonder a little bit about the the ceiling of the the receiver core but I, I think it's you still kind of wonder all right how quickly can you know your third year starting quarterback fifth year senior even new offensive coordinator who's been with the team for now four years elevate that group and they're in kind of elevate your your ceiling of course like like you mentioned the lead-in time to do it is pretty favorable with South Florida coming up here and then followed by Wake Forest not games that Notre Dame is going to at all be pegged as a you know sneaky upset pick or anything so I think it's you're just going back to it 
okay to be, you know, miss or you know whatever whatever you want to call it, a little you know, consternation over it, but while while recognizing that, yeah, yeah, I think there's merit that, yeah, if we were expecting forty five points, that's probably a little a little bit much. Yeah. Well, you know, this fortunate thing, this isn't schedules from days of yore, where you often started off with Michigan and Michigan State, even Purdue, you know, as a Big Ten team. You have a margin of error somewhat. And I've never called the 2020 schedule easy. I, I, I don't believe in calling it that, but it is favorable. It is favorable for the way it is set up for Notre Dame to improve as the season goes on. I mean, you have a game on the road against Wake Forest, but it's an empty stadium. And a couple of years ago when you visited there, you won 56 to 27 in Ian Book's first career start. Uh, so th there are just so many things that line up favorably for Notre Dame schedule-wise this year where there is time to be able to build some of the things that you want to on the offense. And you're now practicing full time. You're, you have some game tape to look at. You, and, you know, the opposition has game tape to look at as well and see, okay, what might be tendencies here. But once you're able to establish maybe that type of rhythm in practice and performance, I, I think this is an offense that'll eventually evolve. Is it going to be, you know, threaten the all-time Nordame record for scoring, which was 37.6 way back in 1968? No, every year I think on our message board and everything, we're going to break that record this year. It's going. I'm guilty. It, it, it's not easy, yeah. and uh, especially when you're trying to establish uh, a lot of the skill positions right now. Now, I understand why some may have felt that way with a third-year starting quarterback and the most veteran returning offensive line that Notre Dame has had in terms of starts ever. Uh, but, uh, you know, reality often seeps in uh, once the season begins. And, you know, we just talked about whatever the you know, passing game ceiling is going to be in struggles. Of course, uh, still have to come out of any discussion about the game talking about Kyron Williams, Lou, you read the stats, but I think you have to feel pretty good about the, the running back room itself, uh, the ceiling with that, considering what you saw from, from Kyron. And yeah, the, the running scheme was different, you know, less power where it's just, you know, go move these guys. And, and Notre Dame was assignment sound, but certainly didn't dominate uh, Duke's front. And when you have all the offseason talk that, this is the best offensive line in the country, not one of the best. That's the expectation, both internal and uh, you know, external. But nonetheless, I think there were a lot of instances where you saw that Notre Dame really believed in Williams' ability to create his own yards, find his own space, make guys miss. There was a play in the, the second half, where it was, uh, where uh, Notre Dame didn't block uh, one of the defensive ends, and it was a pitch to to Williams uh one of the many kind of counters misdirections uh you know run plays that Notre Dame used that were slower developing but really tested Duke's discipline and, and created some space for for running lanes uh anyway Notre Dame didn't block the defensive end and it was basically all right uh Kyron just make this guy miss and make him miss in the backfield and you know, sure enough 
you know, Williams had some impressive change of uh, pace skills there to get the defender to, to stop his feet, freeze him, and then accelerate and keep going. I think it ended up being a 13 or 14 yard gain, but it's, it's one of those things that's you know, well played by Duke and the defender did a good job when he recognized he wasn't blocked and, and sticking to the run assignment that he had, but Williams just frozen. And you, know, you, you see the creation ability maybe that wasn't there uh, at, at times, you know, last year and, and a couple of years ago in the, the open field there. And the backing up the preseason discussion of you know, Kelly saying, this is our guy. I mean, coming out and confidently anointing Kyron as that guy in, in late August. Yeah. That run that you mentioned, and maybe the sec first or second most impressive run actually gained only one yard. And that was his first touchdown uh, where he was caught in the backfield and had to maintain his balance to uh, get over the goal line. Uh, that showed a lot right there as well, because I, I think when you see somebody listed at 5'9 and 195 pounds, as Kyron is, and he was 204 last year, and it's like, oh, gosh, is this one of those fragile backs? Is he going to go down easy? Uh, is that an easy read for the defense? And he demonstrated uh, the ability to break tackles, to... Um, the vision to see where the hole is and then to hit it quickly, a, a number of things. Uh, I was looking at the over-under for him for touches at about maybe 12, maybe nine or 10 carries and then uh, two or three catches uh, out of the backfield. And that would be his limit. He's deceptively strong. They kept feeding him. He had 19 carries. He also caught a couple of passes there, one which he took for 75 yards, which was for naught because of an interception on the next play. But I, I thought the screen game was used pretty well by Nordame as well. That included the 20-yarder to Jafar Armstrong. That That's kind of an ideal niche for him as well because he came in as a former receiver. So – these are things right now, there was out of the 31 passes that uh, Ian Book threw, I think one traveled more than 20 yards. And that was the first play of the fourth quarter, maybe just to surprise Duke uh, in some ways because it, it hadn't been utilized at all where they went deep to uh, Lawrence Keys that was overshot and was fairly well covered. But um that and maybe the end zone toss, that was a 17-yard touchdown to uh, Avery Davis that uh, traveled more than 20 yards. So it kind of took the fourth quarter before the shots were being taken downfield. And that was on a third and 10 play as well, the touchdown there. So you almost had to go deep in that situation and rely on the receiver to make a play in what was pretty good coverage. It, it did end up being two plays that were or throws that were credited as going more than uh, 20 yards down the uh, downfield. Yes, uh, those were the two that you, that you mentioned. And just a, a quick aside before we move on, I, it is, you know, anytime we've talked about you know, books, pocket struggles and, you know, accuracy or whatever, there have been plenty of moments where even within those games where it's a, you know, there's a throw, it's where it's, this is what it's supposed to look like, right? That touchdown to Davis was certainly one of them. I think it was against six rushers that Duke sent and Kyron Williams stood in there, but 
to still got kind of pushed backwards. So didn't give up a free rusher, but uh, certainly did, did enough. just enough. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, uh, Book sensed it, just sidestepped a foot casually, no problem, not rattled, and threw a, a strike to Davis. And same thing uh, earlier in the game, I, I believe it was third and seven in Notre Dame's own territory. I don't think this was a scoring drive, uh, but another same instance of fine Davis on, on third down. So a lot of uh, you know, problems or whatever you want to call it there, uh, but still some of those moments where you think, yeah, he's you know, good enough to, uh, to, to make those throws. And before we uh, – go on to the one other position I think we should uh, still address on offense. Here were Book's numbers on throwing to his receivers. He was 7 of 11 for 74 yards, uh, 48 air yards. That's probably the, the operative one. But only 11 of his 31 targets were to the receivers. And, of course, we've just spent you know, a little bit of time talking about you know what's, what's going on there. Of those 11 targets, five of them were Joe Wilkins. He caught four of the seven passes. So then they threw to the other receivers six times. But, yeah, where would Jordan, uh, Notre Dame have been there without Joe Wilkins rescuing him a little bit before uh, the end of the first half there? And if you were curious about one other absence from the receiver core, uh, that being five-star freshman Jordan Johnson, Brian Kelly was asked about him on Monday. Uh, here's the gist of what he said. Uh, physically, he's coming along quite well. He's still finding himself as a student athlete here. There's a lot on his plate. Uh, he's getting better. He had a really good week last week with his traits, uh, end quote. And traits meaning not so much, uh, you know, the physical things, as Kelly just said. He's you know, he's there in, in that regard. But, you know, attention to detail, uh, just being able to absorb, you know, more things. Maybe this is a little bit of a situation like Williams last year where Kelly was you know, very uh, effusive in his praise of Johnson in fall camp. But, and just like the staff was with Williams last year, uh, didn't end up materializing into a uh, a role in you know for throughout the entire season. Williams basically played one game last year, and yep. from the sound of it, you don't really get the sense that you know you can see Johnson roll out there next week and play forty snaps, right? Yeah, it's it's um, a normal freshman uh, situation. You're away from home you're now suddenly thrust into a very challenging academical environment, which can many times be overwhelming um, to a student athlete in football. Look, the football players aren't coming in here. Most of them aren't coming in here with the typical uh, 4.0 or even 4.6 in advanced curriculums and valedictorians and salutatorians. That can be extremely intimidating to many, many uh, people. It was intimidating to me, and I wasn't even a football player, so I, I didn't get in through the back door. I got through the trap door, and when you <laughs> recognize, uh, you know, who you're competing against in the classroom as well, that can be intimidating, and now you couple that with becoming a full-time uh, major college football player, and with the expectations of, wow, you're a five-star, you, you, you need to be a star right away. Dalen Hayes kind of went through that uh, initially earlier in his career where some of that joy of football was taken away because the expectations were so grand. And now he ha it was compounded by just being made, 
making those adjustments to the classroom and academically with a lot of things. So, you know, it, it comes with time. Um, I know people don't necessarily always like to hear that, but that is the reality when you are going to be a student athlete at Notre Dame. And certainly someone who, you know, you could have used, uh, you know, considering the, in the lack of you know, certainty at the receiver position. But yeah, like you said, it's uh, not always going to be a uh, come in and, and bam, even for, you know, five-star guys, even though, you know, Michael Meyer certainly looked the part of a, a ready-to-go uh, you know, college playmaker at, at tight end in, in his college debut. Yeah, it's all not right. one size fits all. Everyone's going to adjust in different ways. Uh, sometimes it's a different environment and everything else. But, um, you know, certainly with Michael Mayer, I, I've seldom seen a freshman who looked so physically prepared. Uh, you, you talk about filling out a uniform as a freshman. Uh, he, he, he's very, very advanced. And set a Notre Dame record for most catches by a tight end in his first game, too. So that, that's a good start. Yeah, I, I pity the defensive back that had to try to tackle him on that uh, third down conversion where he just dragged him across the field. You, for the, the defensive player's sake, you hope he's not still licking his turf burnt wounds after just you know not being able to, to at all tackle Meyer, which I would not want to do if I were a defensive back if, in any way. It does not sound like a, a fun task. All right, let's change gears to the defense here, but first – Word from a couple of our sponsors. Coming to Notre Dame, plan your stay at the Varsity Clubs by Diamond Resorts, decorated with a collection of Notre Dame memorabilia and located just two miles east of Notre Dame in the heart of shopping and restaurants. As a special deal for our Blue and Gold podcast listeners, use the promo code ZVISG and you'll receive 15% off your reservation. Varsity Club Suites offer king bed with Diamond Resorts quality linens and amenities in every room, living area with a queen sleeper sofa, flat screen TVs, fully stocked kitchenette, and more. Relax as you lounge by the indoor pool where you can swim indoors and see outdoors through glass walls in a screen room, play bocce ball, or sit by one of the fire pits in the beautiful outdoor courtyard or shoot pool with your friends. And enjoy breakfast on us. Book your stay today at www.diamondresortsandhotels.com or call 800-438-2929 and mention promo code ZVISG and receive 15% off your stay at Varsity Clubs. Yesterday's restaurant in Granger is a full-service restaurant serving some of the best food you will ever taste. At yesterday's restaurant, the philosophy is simple. Life is short, eat well. They believe that every meal should be a special occasion. That's why at yesterday's, they serve only the finest organic and locally grown and produce vegetables, fruits, dairy, meats, and fish. They hand make most of the delicious meals from scratch using only the finest ingredients available. Everything they serve is fresh and guaranteed delicious and the recipes are unique and original. From prime rib, fresh fish, to the award-winning Great Scott Burger, rated by ZZ Zippy as the number one burger in a 100-mile radius. You are sure to delight your taste buds. Yesterday's makes their desserts from scratch. Fresh every day, including the world-famous Corbett Cheesecake. 
Let the staff who love what they do make your yesterday's restaurant experience outstanding. Visit us online at yesterdays-granger.com or book your reservation on OpenTable or by calling 574-272-7017. So on to Notre Dame's defense, like you had alluded to earlier, certainly has the makings of a, a unit that can be you know, lean on. Uh, you can count on you know, getting some big stops late, and which is a big deal in this era of, you know, the best defense is one that hasn't faced an explosive offense yet. And of course, you kind of look at the, you know, this game as a whole as like a, a way less extreme version of that, you know, last year's opening half against Louisville, where, all right, Louisville's, you know, option scheme that proved hard for everybody to stop all year kind of ran through them for a half and then it wasn't that big a problem duke had 151 yards through a quarter then after the first quarter 2.64 yards per play pretty much the opposite trend for notre dame which had a zero percent success rate in the first quarter on offense and then you know figure it out so not a whole lot of you know surprising things when you look at who stood out Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, with the team in tackles, made the very first tackle of the game on the kickoff. Kyle Hamilton, before he was injured, kind of showing that, yep, time to put him in a every down role, you know, use him in that Aloe Gilman type thing of everywhere from center fielder as the single high safety to blitzer where he brought pressure. I think he was credited with one quarterback pressure. Uh, but really what seemed to be <laughs> really fascinating was the depth at all these positions. Notre Dame played 11 defensive linemen, and they all played in the first two drives. Four linebackers, same thing. I think they were all in pretty early. So, Lou, I think you've got to like that. Yeah, and when you say linebackers, we're looking at just the Mike and the Will positions. Right. Will were being separate there. But, yeah, just looking through the first two, three series, it's like, my gosh, they're already rotating uh, people so liberally. That's been um, – Kind of the trend under Mike Elston the last three years is they have been regularly uh, creating these rotations where it pays off by the fourth quarter or so. Uh, we mentioned that in the first quarter, uh, Duke outgained Notre Dame 151 to 7. Uh, well, by the end of the fourth quarter, the numbers had kind of reversed itself there. I think it was 102 yards for Notre Dame and then 27 for Duke and 23 of them came kind of on a desperation scramble by Chase Bryce there. Uh, but there was one sequence where three straight plays, Notre Dame threw them for lost yardage to force a punt. And I, that's where fatigue can kind of take a toll on an offense where, and where the fresh legs on defense uh, really come to the forefront there. And uh, of course, finding people in their niche Isaiah Foskey, sort of like the Michael Mayer on uh, offense, is you just look at him and he's one of those guys like with Kyle Hamilton or Michael Mayer and say, that's what I'm talking about. That, that's what the Alabamas, the Clemsons, that, that type of body, um, that type of physique, that type of athletic skill is where it becomes a routine at those type of schools and the impact that Foskey had in that first half when Duke twice went into the red zone 
and both times had to come out with the field goal. He had two pass pressures plus a sack in those situations down there by the goal line. Um, Bo Bauer, uh, Brian Kelly had talked about him last week as a guy who has had as good a camp as anybody. Uh, he's always played with a tremendous energy and physicality, but maybe not always with the discipline and focus that was necessary for assignment sound football. Uh, one of the things I wrote on with my three, two, one observations after the game is I wondered, you know, down the road, does Drew White slide over to the buck position so that you can make more room for Bo Bauer at, at Mike? But Cluckley has always talked about having more of a hockey type of alignment where two and two come in rather than three for two or so. So you have that at the buck linebacker position with Maris Lufa and Deshane Simon. And then Jack Kaiser was in there regularly as well. Uh, in third down situations. He almost seemed to take the role that Jack Lamb had last year uh, in those type of self packages. So the rotation there has been really impressive. Now the buck linebacker position, similar to last year where Asmar Bilal as a fifth year senior was making the transition from Rover to buck and kind of struggled those first two weeks. But starting I think with the Georgia game, Everyone picked their game up a little bit more. I anticipate that that position, likewise, will show the improvement as it goes on. And again, this goes back to what we've talked about with the offense, too. Those first three games, Duke, South Florida, and Wake Forest, all where Notre Dame is a prohibitive favorite, it's a chance to really build and forge what you want to be. Um, you always have to be wary of upsets naturally, but this gives you an opportunity going into that bye week on October 3rd to try to, I, I don't want to be condescending to the opponents in any way, but it's, it's almost like this is the Nordane preseason, just like the NFL used to have a preseason in August, it is your chance to look at these games as the opportunity to see who and what you can become. Again, it's not like you're playing Michigan in the opener as you're used to many other years. You can build something here. I'm not saying you just experiment and disrespect the opponent, but let's be realistic. Notre Dame is a prohibitive favorite in these games, and it's not so much about whether you cover the spread or not, but how you're able to create that identity and lineup and rotation personnel to be effective for the long run uh, in, in October and November, and especially in November when uh, Clemson and North Carolina come aboard. And I'd, I'd look at the first three games exactly like this. Uh, if I were Duke, I think there's a lot of good things to take away from what they were able to do. I think Chase Bryce is definitely going to be an upgrade over what they had at quarterback last year. But I'll, I mean, let me just ask you this, Lou. In any of those you know, moments where, you know, the offense was backfiring and you know, Duke got some yards early on or you know, Notre Dame had the interception and the goal line. Like, do you ever, did you ever think Notre Dame was going to lose that game? No, I, no. I'll, I'll say when, um, when Duke did cut it to 17-13 in the fourth quarter, I'm saying, boy, look out here. And look, it's 17-13 and you're facing third and seven from your own 45. 
and uh, Michael Mayer comes across on a crossing rod there at tight end, and he's hit about five yards short of uh, of the first down. And you're thinking, oh boy, they got a punt here. They, they can take the lead. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it crossed my mind very briefly, and then Mayer breaks the tackle, and uh, Nordame goes on to score the touchdown, and, and now you feel comfortable with that cushion. Now, I, I would have felt comfortable with a Clark Lee defense that they would have made the stop, too, at 17-13, because they had found exactly. the as well. But, yeah, I, I mean, you start the game off with three straight three and outs, and you're just like, okay, <laughs> It'll come, it'll come. This is part of just being mentally strong as a team and recognizing don't panic. This is part of what everyone is going to go through at some point. It's Clemson will go through it at some point. Alabama, Ohio State. Sometimes you even end up with a loss like Ohio State did with 31 point losses at uh, Iowa or a blowout at Purdue. Teams that, uh, you know, you think that they'll just easily roll over. These aren't going to happen. There's going to be uh, another game, especially in that sequence from October 10th through 24th, where you have Florida State, Louisville, and Pitt consecutively. It'll come down to the final series. There'll be a game like that, absolutely, before Clemson, and that's going to test the resolve again. Right, and yeah, even at some point, there's going to be one of those final series ones, but at least in this case, uh, the answer for me to you know, the question I asked was no. And you, know, you just figure one way or another Notre Dame would, would figure yeah. it out. And it wasn't a situation where it's, all right, got to score when you're behind with two minutes left. Or, all right, you got to get a stop when you just gave them a short field if it's you know two minutes left and they could take a lead or, or tie the game. And I think, you know, that'll be the same thing that, all right, let's say you end up in a 10-10 tie at halftime with self order for some reason. Or, you know, two interceptions in the first half, you know, spot Wake Forest or an early lead. Uh, it's it's going to be the, you know, thing where I, uh, unless something just completely gets away from them, which seems – pretty hard to think will happen. Uh, you've got some time to experiment here. Is, was it like was two years ago, Alabama, I think, was tied with the Citadel. That's right. Yep. yep. Wasn't close. Pen to pen. It's like, just don't panic. Don't wet your pants over every little thing that goes wrong and everything. It's, that's part of athletics. That's part of life. You're, you have to be able to, you know, deal with that and have the poise. Uh, to settle in and just do your job. And yeah, to get on the maybe on, on ramp uh, for a minute here is mainly you've got time to figure out what you want to do at, at linebacker. I snap distribution between Liu Fao and, and Simon was pretty easy. Uh, Simon, or pretty comparable, I should say. Simon played 32 snaps. Uh, Marist played, I believe it was 27. Yes, 27. Uh, two combined tackles. Didn't really notice them. Uh, you know, making big plays. Didn't notice them. Just completely you know, blowing assignments everywhere either. That wasn't the case. So, yeah, I, th I think you've got some you know, leeway, and it might take another couple of games to you know, figure out what you're going to do at, at Buck, which is, all right, if there's going to be a more uh, lopsided uh, snap count and I, th I said last week by the third game I think there will be and I'll I'll still go with that I, I think they'll still take another minute to figure out all right what's your nickel package and your dime package look like with the linebackers uh, Kaiser was in there I think four snaps uh, you saw Bo Bauer in there at the, in the nickel and, and dime uh, packages at times so 
yeah, it's something that I think will continue to, to sort itself out. One more quick sponsor uh, to get here before we uh, wrap up a little bit. Looking for that unique Notre Dame item for the Irish fan in your life? Visit Augie's Locker Room, the country's number one Notre Dame memorabilia shop. They have the largest selection of Notre Dame helmets dating all the way back to the turn of the century up to the present day, including the Shamrock Series helmet. They have stadium benches, frame tickets, one-of-a-kind Rockney items, signed items, and many other unique pieces. If it is ND, they have what you are looking for. Visit them online at augieslockerroom.com or call 574-277-NDND. That's augieslockerroom.com. So one area where we didn't see as much rotation was in the defensive backfield, particularly a corner. And maybe a little surprising, considering you had co-starters at corner, even though I think that idea kind of looked bizarre when you saw Tariq Gracie go out there, play just about every snap, and put forth what I thought was a pretty good game. And you know, early on, I mean, these are the kinds of teams that Nick McLeod was you know, used to playing against at NC State, but, you know, generally, I, I think he acquitted himself well, kept everything in front of him, uh, got beat on a back shoulder uh, throw for, I don't know, first down a couple times, I think it was, but broke up a pass, uh, still allowed fewer than 60% of the targets at him to be caught, so no you know, no damage there. He was active as a, a tackler too. So Brian Kelly told us on Monday that, yeah, you can expect to see more corners. We should expect to at least see Clarence Lewis, who was the co-starter on defense uh, this week after he was only on special teams on Saturday. Maybe there's another boundary corner in there to spell McLeod. Perhaps it's Cam Hart who had a couple of snaps in nickel and dime packages late in the game, and, and that was it. But, Lou, I can't imagine there's been any team in, in recent memory, and, and of course you would know this a lot better than me, that had played you know, two cornerbacks like that the entire season. Right. Uh, and he also mentioned the safety positions is something that they also want to get more people involved in. I'm not anticipating Kyle Hamilton playing against South Florida. You, you can get away with that. That is one guy you do not want to screw around with as far no. as, uh, you know, <laughs> let's get him against South Florida. You know, we're favored by four touchdowns, but man, we need him and all. And all. This is for the long term. You have to play the long game here. Uh, Kyle is going to be probably begging to play, see action, but. Uh, this is where the wise coaching council comes in as far as uh, there's much more for, to look forward to d down the road there. Uh, if, if he's in a walking boot through Wednesday, as they said, my experience always has been, no matter who the coach is, if you can't practice on Tuesday and Wednesday, which are the two big uh, practice days as far as just game preparation, because Thursday is more so a review session and Friday is a walkthrough. Um, chances are you're not going to play or you're going to see very limited action uh, on Saturday. So this is where guys like Houston Griffith, Isaiah Pryor, uh, DJ Brown, who replaced him, Sean Crawford at the safety positions really have to, you know, emerge uh, and, you know, make some strong contributions. I would anticipate Clarence Lewis would be in the mix at corner this week. Um, he's listed as an or, 
<laughs> just like uh, Marist and Shane were at Buck linebacker. But whereas there the split was 32-27 in snap counts, uh, I don't think Clarence appeared at all unless I missed something late there. Uh, no, the he did not. Do. He played special teams. He, he was, I believe, on a coverage unit. Yes. Or so, but he was not inserted on defense. And I thought the corners played well, but um, – as Brian Kelly mentioned, that's not something that you want to make a habit of through the entire season where they're taking every single uh, snap pretty much. And, and the last thing on the corners was I, I thought we, you know, one of the things that was kind of key for them coming into the year was, all right, can you make some more plays on the ball? Can you find some awareness and get hands on the ball more often? I didn't, they didn't get an interception, but still thought they, looked like they were, you know, getting their head turned around, uh, you know, locating the ball. Uh, I believe McLeod and Breezy combined for three pass breakups. So early on, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one game, but at least that's something you would have rather have seen uh, than not seen. So heading into uh, further in the week in, in South Florida, I, I agree with you. I, I don't really see if there's a reason to, you know, push – Kyle Hamilton to uh, to play. I mean, especially like you look at South Florida's opening uh, week you know, box score, they averaged 4.2 yards a pass, I think, against the, the previously mentioned the Citadel. So it doesn't exactly light a fire in you. You would think that uh, you need, you know, Hamilton to be able to handle their passing game that was a struggle last year, even if you think it's going to be uh, you know, at least a little more interesting with the tempo and the, you know, the spread out air raid football on, you know, lightning warp speed uh, that Charlie Weiss Jr. wants to, wants to bring. Yeah. One last thing though, also got to mention special teams. Three straight games now, they've had a tremendous impact in changing around the momentum of games. Uh, you go back to the regular season finale at Stanford last year. Uh, Notre Dame's trailing 17-7 in the second quarter. And Isaiah Foskey, who was specifically reserved for that fourth game against Stanford because they felt they might need him, he blocks the punt down to the one-yard line. And just like that, Notre Dame uh, completely changes the momentum around and coasts to a 45-24 victory. The Camping World Bowl last year, uh, Notre Dame, Three and out in the series. Iowa State pumped on the punt. Uh, Alohi Gilman and Chase Claypool combined to create a fumble. Notre Dame takes over. Instant momentum and deflation there then for Iowa State. And here, uh, you're just kind of scuffling along here. Three straight three and outs. And on the fourth possession, you're facing fourth and eight from your 21-yard line. And... Um, and you have the Nads in that situation to call a, a, a punt. I mean, look, when you're at your 21, Jay Bramblin is back around his 10, between the 10 and 5-yard line there. He's got to get to uh, near the 35-yard line, past the 30-yard line. That's a 20-yard run. And he had to make a cut. Uh, it, it wasn't just like a clear lane. He had the presence of mind to see he needed to make a cutback run. And that goes back to his quarterback days uh, in Alabama, where he was an all-state selection at quarterback. He passed for like 2,400 yards his senior year. 
so once again, when you see a play like that succeed, right away you're thinking, okay, this is where the worm turns in that play. And then Jonathan Dorr, in not the best conditions, drizzly day, converts a 48-yarder right before halftime to extend the lead from 7-6 to six to 10-6. to six. Instant, uh, you know, surge right there going into the locker room again with that. And then later in the game, a 34-yard field goal as well. So I, I think many times, uh, you know, sometimes the average fan judges a special teams and impact based just on, hey, did they return a kick for a touchdown? Did they return a punt for a touchdown? Those are very difficult to do. Uh, you know, I grew up in the Tim Brown and Rocket Ishmael era where it, it seemed like it was a birthright to get those type of returns. And rules have changed some, and it's not going to be as prevalent now. Those guys are not a dime a dozen. But the special teams the last two years, they've ranked in the top 20, 25 in efficiency and effectiveness, and they changed the game around again. Yeah, maybe it wouldn't be a, you know, complete disaster if you had to go to Jay Bramblett as the emergency quarterback, if the entire room gets you know, quarantined and go to some wing T offense where you just run them. It looked, it looked natural. But yeah, like you said, the special teams at this point under Brian Polian have been a pretty steady, uh, effective high bar machine here. And it's, it's had impact. I and mean, usually when he first came here uh, a few years ago, it was do no harm. It was the Hippocratic oath. Just don't do anything to lose the game. They're doing things now that help win the game. That's, yeah, that's, that's where you want to be for a special teams unit that actually, you know, affects the game. And, and look, that, that, that opening return by Chris Tyree, where he found a seam there and brought it out to the 38-yard line, you see somebody who has that uh, kind of ability to uh, create um, good field position for you. And that's kind of the one area they were missing a little bit in last year was that uh, return game explosiveness. So lots of like there too. All right, Lou, let's get out of here. Thanks for listening, guys. Again, best way you can support this podcast is to subscribe to blueandgold.com. Use the free promo code Irish60, Irish60 for 60 days of free online access once again you can follow us on twitter at patrick angle underscore at bgi underscore loose emoji please if you'd be so kind leave us a review rate and subscribe to the podcast we'll love you forever especially if you give us five stars and nice comments if you enjoy the show we'll talk to you again on thursday talk some south florida until then take care <laughs>